Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, Panos here from Life With Your Dog podcast. Another Q&A is up and I have a question here from Andre. So thanks Andre for the question. I'm going to read it out for you and I'll give you my opinion and perspective on some of those things. So here it goes. Hey guys, would love to see an episode debunking all common myths about dogs. Raw versus dry food, harnesses versus collars, positive training, positive reinforcement training only. Seems like these Topics are constantly brought up and debated across every Facebook group I'm in. So, first one we talk about is raw versus dry food. I'm not completely a raw feeder and I'm not completely a dry food feeder. Generally, I'm feeding it around about 80% raw food and that 20% dry food. Of course, every week can be a little bit different depending on have I defrosted the food or not. However, in my opinion, I think raw feeding is really important. I think it's more biologically appropriate for dogs. You're going to see the more common commercial raw food out there. It's called BARF, so biologically appropriate food raw feeding. I may have messed that one up, but you get my drift that it is biologically appropriate. You wouldn't go to the GP and your GP tells you to eat processed dry food only. So why should that go for our dogs? So I think raw um, dry food has its place. It's good for convenience. You just have to open the bag, give the dog your food, and there you go. However, I think processed food every single day can, you know, just from my own thoughts and my own opinions and my experience as well, that I think dry food on its own only can cause its own issues. You know, like we see more dogs getting sick, new different diseases are more prominent in a lot of our domestic dogs. So from my own experience, I talk about spades. He's nine years old now. And about three, three and a half years ago, I started feeding him a raw food diet. So as I said, I was giving it a mix. Now, when I say mix, I'm not putting 80% of the raw food and then dry food in the same bowl. Most days, let's just say, for example, four out of those seven days, thereabouts, I'm giving him his his um, raw food and I use Raw and Fresh. Raw and Fresh are a company that are in Australia more so in New South Wales. I think they're spreading out through Australia now, but they deliver the food to my house. So it's good for convenience as well. They come in prepackaged um, bags and then I freeze them, defrost them and give it to them on the day that it's defrosted. They don't put any additives, chemicals, all that stuff as well. So it's good for the dogs as well. The chicken has, and I'm not going to say percentages because I can butcher it, but there is chicken meat. There is, and it's all minced with carcass, beef liver, and pureed vegetables added into the mix. And that's what they get on those days. There are days where I give the beef as well. So everything I just said there, except instead of the chicken, it has the beef. And that's just my dog's food for the day. And then there's other days where they would get their dry food. When I give them dry food, I, I personally put water in it so it can kind of soak up. becomes better for hydration, especially now that it's summer, it's a bit hotter. And I do add sardines sometimes or tuna to the dry food or sometimes some leftovers that we have and things like that. The reason why I keep the balance is because I personally don't think that a dog's going to get all of the nutrients and 
the um, the nutrition that they need from just the raw food only. Because when we talk about being biologically appropriate, something that Narelle Cook said on the Canine Paradigm podcast that I heard, and I really believe it to be true is that back in the day we're giving the whole animal to the dog or in the wild they're eating the whole animal from nose to tail they're eating everything they're eating the skull they're eating the eyes and the brain and you know the tripe and the intestines and you know the nails and like so there's all these different nutrients you're going to get from eating a complete animal where if we're just eating muscle and just eating some organs we're not getting everything so i think supplementing that with of course your dry food and a premium dry food at that i use black hawk um, the grain free and I give that to the um, to my dogs. If you're going to give a dry food, make sure it's the most appropriate for them. Generally, supermarket dry food, in my opinion, isn't the best. Grain-free, I feel, is good. Now, the reason, well, what I've seen in my dogs, so spages, you get a lot of dermatitis. You see um, every spring and summer that come around, he'd get hot spots. His skin was red and inflamed. And they say that it was a pollen allergy, also a flea allergy. And since giving the raw food in the last three years, my, his skin has been superb, about 90% all clear. There's, there are some times where it may get a little bit inflamed, but nothing to it what it used to be. And I can only contribute that to, to the raw feeding. And I think, again, I'm not an expert in the field, but from my personal opinion, is that less inflammation in the body is going to cause less allergy issues and other potential diseases and parasites that the dog can get. My dog hasn't even had fleas in the last three years, and I think his body's at a really good um, state. He's also a very active dog. He comes to a lot of my sessions with me, and with good nutrition, good fuel for the body, he's very active for for his age, and he's looking good too. So that's my opinion about raw versus dry, is that not just for allergies in dogs, but also for general health and well-being, and it makes sense for us. If we eat processed food every day, we're we're going to feel sluggish and very weird, and we're probably going to get a lot of autoimmune sort of issues. Again, I'm just talking... From an opinion, not really as a professional. If you want the best opinion, speak to a vet, speak to a nutritionist or a naturopath or somebody. And I do recommend Narelle Cook. If you want, you can check her out. Um, I'll get a business name and I'll add into the comments below. But search it out there. Do your research for yourself. Don't just get one opinion and go with it. See what, and of course, every dog's going to be a little bit different too. I do believe freezing the raw food before giving it to them is good as well in terms of killing any bacteria or, or um, viruses that could be in it as well. So that's something that I do with my dogs. And it can be hard for training if you want to train existentially. You know, having raw food for your dog's food, um, all his training can be a little bit sloppy and gross. So, you know, you want to work around it. And I feel that the grain-free, in my opinion, is a good thing because we'd want to have something that has fillers that are more, I guess, natural or maybe not natural, but something that isn't so heavily grain, like grain, like cereals and rice and things like that may cause a lot of um, issues, especially with dogs with allergies. So I've seen that with spades and I'm pretty happy with what I've got at the moment. I do also feed bones as well. Once a week, they'll get their bones. So either it's like a brisket bone, turkey neck or a chicken carcass. That is his meal for the day. So it's not an addition. It's not a treat. It is his meal. He has enough to feed him. And of course, nooking my little Maltese Pomeranian is on the same feeding schedule as well. So some of these questions, because he has got a few questions that he's got here. So I'm not going to go into a full depth conversation, but we may do a full proper episode with me and Luke talking about these things. And maybe we're going to get people in as guests to talk more and elaborate more about, about their field. If they're an expert in the field, so we can get a bit more science backed and fact back fact base from it. Next question here is about harnesses versus collars. In my opinion, in my experience, 
what I'd like to do in my training routine is that puppies are on harnesses up until they're around about six months old. The harnesses that I like to use are like a, the ROGS H harness is one of them, but the more successful one that I've been using recently, it's a Spawn Ultimate Control Harness, they call it. And I should have one on me. I'm sorry, I haven't been prepared for that one. However, you can go out there and, and look for it, just type in that name. The harness is good because it has the option of clipping on the back and it also has the option of clipping on the front as well. On the back there, when the dog pulls on it, like as they start to advance ahead, it does tighten on a little bit. So it's good for safety so they don't back out of it. And also it's good, does it's supposed to make the dog a little bit uncomfortable as they pull, but I don't see that much success in discouraging them when you have it clipped on the back. Clipping on the front though, especially when your pup gets to around about four or five months old and they start to get a little bit enthusiastic and they're kind of pulling a little bit, clipping on the front there does pull them off balance and you get a lot more control from your dog there. So that's what I that's what I recommend for harnesses. The collar that I like to use for dogs that are from six, seven months and over is called a martingale collar. We have mentioned in the in the episodes before. The reason why is for two reasons. For safety, dogs cannot back out of a martingale collar because it does tighten up before their head slip out of it. And also when you put the martingale collar on, if you put it on properly, then it can work for our training for loose lead walking and better leash control. You're going to keep your martingale collar up high, right up under the jaw and behind the ears and make sure that it's tight enough that the two side rings don't touch. If the two rings are touching, then it's acting like a flat collar and you may not get the desired results. However, for safety, a dog cannot back out of it unless he breaks a chain on the collar there. So I don't put martingale collars or even flat collars on puppies. I just find that I don't want to desensitize them. I also don't want them to slip out of it. And now there's going to be some exceptions to that rule. There are some dogs that are over seven months old that can just walk with their front clip harness and everything's all good. Perfect. Then if it's working for you, then that's great. Now, Nuki, my Maltese Pomeranian, when I um, attained, when I got her at around about a year and a half old, she did have very sensitive neck. Every time she was on a collar and she'd pull in front, she'd like start gagging. So I had to put on a front clip harness for a health issue. But now that I've taught her how to walk on a loose lead, she, and now she's on a martingale collar, which is very loose. I don't have to tighten it all, as I just explained, because she knows how to walk. She never puts pressure on the end of the lead. She understands that getting in front of me or putting any pressure on the lead is too far in front. She backs up, and I haven't had to hurt her even have any issue. I think when she was on a collar, when she was really young, um, she was pulling too much and it wasn't used correctly, and that's probably where she had some irritation in her neck there. So... There can be some issues with walking with collars, and that's probably why they get debated on, on these Facebook groups is because people don't know how to use them correctly. They may feel insecure about it, or their skill set's not up to scratch, or they've had bad experiences, and they advise all dogs should be on a harness. Why I don't like to have an adult dog on a harness is because harnesses were developed for dogs to pull sleds. So what happens is you clip on the back of that harness. As soon as that dog pulls in front, you pull back. It encourages the dog to push forward. It's called opposition reflex. Put pressure back especially when you start seeing the dogs and the birds and things that are highly distracting, that dog starts to pull you. And that can be very undesirable, especially with a large dog. But also when the harness is on the dog's chest and their shoulders, which is the strongest part of their body, you can't control their head. And if you can't control the head, then they can, then you can't control their body. So if the dog's looking in one direction, you try to pull them away. What happens is you're pulling their body away, but their head's still looking in the, in the other direction. And it can be very hard to get their attention. So I am a balanced trainer. I use all four quadrants of training. And what I'm what I mean by that is that I do use pressure if I need it, but I'm trying to use as much positive reinforcement to get that dog's attention back onto me. But if food doesn't work, it's not highly valuable when you're out in the street and the dog's barking at your dog and your dog wants to go out and play or 
is anxious, aggressive, etc., then it can be very hard to control them. Especially when your dog's on all of our dogs, unless you've got a really tall dog, most of our dogs are on our lower center of gravity. They're below our hips. So they manipulate our body and they pull us in all these sorts of directions. So having it on the chest for a big, strong dog can be very hard to control. And you're putting a lot more pressure on that dog than you need to. And, and of course, there are other things that people say is that if the dog's pulling for a long, for many years on the lead, then they could put a lot of load bearing pressure on their hips and their joints. And it can cause, um, some health issues. And of course, there are some times where dogs get cuts up underneath their arms because they're pulling so hard. But you've got to think about the human being as well. What's happening on the human's ends of things when the dog's pulling so much, you're going to start getting some shoulder issues. So if you're really uncomfortable with using a collar, a front clip harness is the way to go. A martingale collar is, a, is, is also a, another good option, and I recommend it. However, if you're out there and you haven't got access to my training, you can check out my, my YouTube channel, and we talk a lot about loose lead walking on the different playlists there, and there is one of the videos talking about how to fit a martingale collar on correctly, so check that one out. Alternatively, go out there and search a dog trainer that understands how to use the, the tool that they choose to use appropriately, and they are someone who's a balanced trainer, not using yank and crank and popping dogs and using too much pressure and punishment and which is going to lead me to the next question about positive only trainers i'm not against it i'm not saying that they're doing the wrong thing or they're bad i just feel that it's an incomplete system and it may either for number one be ineffective may not work number two is that it's going to take a very very long time to get your desired reaction and if you've got that time and that patience and the dog's not super super hard where it's hard for you to control and a potential risk to the to society, then you can try that sort of training. If in the ideal world I could use positive only all the time, then I would, 100%. However, I know that once I taught, so, okay, let's go into that. So, of course, his question was about positive only trainers and should you search out a positive only trainer compared to a balanced trainer? My opinion, of course, I'm a balanced trainer. Balanced trainer means that I use I use what works only with respect to the animal with compassion but also being realistic and, and practical at the same time so what i mean by that is that you should only really correct a dog or use punishment once you've taught what you want them to do so there's no point telling your dog to sit and they don't know how to sit and you apply some pressure or correction you have then caused more conflict to the dog and the dog may not understand so using so when i train i'd say a big large chunk of my training is positive reinforcement i'm trying to teach dogs what to do rather than focusing on what i don't want them to do the last q a we talked about jumping sometimes jumping straight off the bat may need to be corrected but you do need to mix it with positive reinforcement so if you're only using half of the spectrum of training and trying to ignore a dog can work especially for puppies when we're training puppies it's positive only a lot of the time 95% of the time, there are some times that you may need to correct the puppy's behavior and correcting the puppy's behavior may be removing yourself from the situation too. So that's not technically positive reinforcement only. You are removing yourself, which is negative punishment. However, when it comes to training, we want, and for all sorts of dogs, you want to make sure that you're very clear about what it is that you're, you're, what you're trying to teach a dog. You're using the right motivation for the dog to work for you and also you're, you're using a balanced approach. You're showing them how to interact and using leash pressure appropriately. Because once you put a dog on the lead, you're already using negative reinforcement. That dog's going to pull in certain directions. If you're not going to put pressure on that dog, then 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 you're going to let go of the lead, and the dog's going to run away from you. So so we don't call it po- they don't call it positive only training more. They call it force free. They're trying to use less force and more positive reinforcement. And hey, 
Kudos to you guys. If you're using positive only and it's working for you and your clients, then keep it up. I'd love to learn more from you. However, I know that, like, for example, the dog that I've just seen today, we're down at Cronulla. She's a Labrador, year and a half old. She's very big. She's very strong. She's a working line um, Labrador. So she's got very high drive and she wants to have a job. So when I rocked up, she started pulling and carrying on and I had to show her owner, first of all, have that collar in the right right spot. If you've got a collar down low on that dog's neck and that dog then starts pulling you, what do you do? Ignore the dog? Or do you turn around and change direction? Like, what are you going to do there? So in this case, I told her, adjust the collar, change your direction, make some space. When she comes back and faces me, we practice the look command. The dog looks, we say, yes, we reward. So now the dog within like three repetitions was looking at me, looking back at her and she was rewarding because she understood what the behavior was. We've practiced this before. Once she got back into working on how to use the leash, how to use her feet in, in, in training, and what I mean by using your feet is that not putting heavy pressure with our hands, but walk around, make some space, get the dog to follow you, then rewarding all the behaviors that you like. Once we start doing this, our third session, we walk the Esplanade, and if you guys don't know what the Esplanade is, it's a very, very busy spot in Cronulla, um, which is a, along the beach. Lots of people, lots of dogs. We did not see one reactivity to another dog after we did some of that initial um, training in the beginning of our session. So in three sessions, we no longer have a dog that's pulling and lunging towards other dogs. She's seen dogs. She looked back at her owner. She was being rewarded. So, of course, using positive reinforcement is essential in training using the right amount of pressure and knowing how to use the lead appropriately without choking your dog, hurting your dog, intimidating him and, and causing him to be fearful. This is really important as well. So it's very hard in the scope of our conversation today to explain all of the pros and cons to it, but it is hopefully answering your question in regards to what I think about positive only training. I just don't think it's a realistic outcome unless you're in a vacuum where there's no distractions nothing happening inside your house or in your backyard where your dog's completely comfortable with then that's going to work but when you start getting out there in the environment where there's lots of things that present themselves you know it can be very hard when it comes to like complex skills teaching assistance dogs guide dogs and things like that then we don't use much punishment at all if anything we use negative punishment taking the the opportunity of the food reward away or, or finishing the session because a dog hasn't performed, that then motivates a dog to do more, better better training for next time, better efforts for next time. However, there's only a very few select dogs that are going to be able to do that job, and it's very intense training. So in terms of like everyday dog owners, they may not be able to be on that schedule of training, and we may need to use a balanced approach. And this may even like, you know, bring up a lot of questions, and people may want to debate it and, and things like that, and I'm all, I'm all open for the conversation. I'm just giving you my perspective, my opinion. You can check out my videos and check out the training that I do. And you can see that we aren't doing what people are fearful of, which is creating fear and intimidating dogs. So that, that's that's there to answer that question. And if you've got a trainer that's not willing to use any form of reinforcement like food, balls, and toys, I'd question it. I'd question it. Don't be too old school. Learn from the old school, learn from our traditions, but also let's start moving forward and start understanding what operant conditioning is about, what um, what instrumental conditioning is about, and also what like classical conditioning is about. So, sorry, there's two sorts of con- um, conditioning. There's that operant instrumental, which means behaviors have consequences, good consequence, desirable consequences for desirable behaviors, undesirable consequences for undesirable behaviors, and there's also that classical conditioning, which is talking about 
comparing certain events with other events so the dog starts to make the connection. So for example, using a marker, when I say the word yes, the dog understands is being rewarded because we've charged it up and that's being very clear with our dog. You're going to get the reward that you want if you do the behavior that I want. So And of course, understanding good behaviors have good consequences. I want you to repeat that for the future. And then if you lunge at another dog when I've told you to sit, for example, then there may be some pressure on the lead. The dog goes back into behavior. We repeat it again. And then then the dog starts to understand what you want them to do. So that's a little bit of the question there, Andre, in in a nutshell. We will elaborate more on this as the episodes go on. Um, So I hope that that I've answered your question appropriately. I hope I've, I've helped other people out there that are trying to venture off and understand more about your dog and your training. So if there's any questions, please hit me up. You can put, privately message me through our um, our email, which is lifewithyourdogpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also go onto our website. You can leave a submission through there. You can, if you're watching this on Instagram or Facebook, you can also message us straight up from there or just leave a comment in the video there. So hope you guys are having a great day. Happy training. Keep it up. And thanks for listening once again. Um, If you can like, rate, and share wherever you're listening to this, that would be really appreciative. Share it with a friend and just support us. That would be awesome. Have a great day, guys. See ya.